pay. What he's going to ask Philemon to do is to forgive a runaway slave and accept him back as his own son. A slave named Onesimus has stolen something or committed some crime against his owner. He has run away. Paul had found him in prison in Rome, had led him to the Lord, and is now sending him back to be reconciled to his master Philemon. And this letter that we're going to read accompanies him back, asking Philemon not to punish him by the law, but to accept him into his family. Now that is a remarkable thing. Now the subject of the letter, before we read, is obviously forgiveness. That is what Paul asked Philemon to do, to forgive this man who has wronged you. The word forgive or the word forgiveness is not mentioned in the letter, but the concept of forgiveness is, is, is all throughout. And if there's anything that our society has no concept of, it is forgiveness. Because our culture says that you don't have to forgive. You have a right to your pound of flesh. You, um, uh, you are right to hold on to your hurts. But in a world of bitterness and anger and hatred and hostility, the Christian is called to be as forgiving to others as God has been to us. As plainly as Scripture can make it. We are told that if someone offends us, then we are to forgive them. The most basic definition of forgiveness would be a removal of guilt, to release from debt or to uh, release from blame, to absolve from, from guilt. And if you think about what it means for God to forgive you, and don't, don't pass over that word too quickly, but whenever we talk about the subject of forgiveness, I, I think that there are several points of clarification that are needed just to set the foundation. And so let me just give you two, and then we'll get into the book. And the first point of clarification is that you cannot forgive sins. No one has the power to forgive sins except God. So, so when we're talking about forgiving, I'm not talking about forgiving you like the Catholic thinks a priest forgives you. That, that's not possible. You can forgive offenses. Only God can forgive you of sins. You can release them of their debt to you through offenses and through hurts. And then the second point of clarification that I think is very critical is that you cannot forgive a person if they don't confess. Now there is some preaching on forgiveness that basically goes like this. If someone has offended you perhaps years and years ago and you have harbored ill feelings in your heart against them, then you must forgive them and hold no bitterness. And while it is true, it is true that you need not let bitterness dwell in your heart, that is not necessarily what is meant biblically by forgiveness. Because how do you forgive someone without telling them? How would they benefit from that if they don't know that they've been forgiven? But what if they don't want forgiveness? What, 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 if, what if they don't believe that what they did was wrong? Or that it hurts you? Or that it was a real offense? How, how do you force forgiveness on someone who doesn't think he needs it or wants it? 
And the answer is that you can't. God doesn't forgive you that way. A man has to acknowledge his offense against God, right? He has to acknowledge his violation, his transgression, his sin, and then God will forgive him. But God doesn't go up to a man and say, I know you don't realize your sin, and I know that you don't believe that what you did was wrong, but I'm going to forgive you anyway so I don't harbor any ill feelings in my heart against you. That, that's not how biblical forgiveness works. You can't forgive someone who doesn't acknowledge their need for forgiveness. However, what you can do is you can pray and you can ask the Lord to forgive you for bitterness and ask the Lord to heal you of the offenses so you can go on and live a peaceful life. But I think it's important to keep the terminology straight. I've seen people on an altar weeping, telling God that I want to forgive somebody that they did something 20 years ago and if that's what needs to happen, then go to that person and tell them that you forgive them and seek reconciliation and, and, and move on. But it may, it may just be that they don't know or they don't care that the offense has happened or that it's real. Then you ask the Lord to forgive you of, of your bitterness and your angry spirit. You get forgiveness for your own sins and then you go on with God. And so I just want to make sure that we, we keep our terminology straight. Now, now the matter of forgiveness, it, it is so crucial to the Christian life that the Holy Spirit has devoted one letter in the Bible to that subject. And everything that you and I need to know about forgiveness is found in principle in the book of, of, of Philemon. The setting of the story, as I said, is a runaway slave named Onesimus. He is owned by a Christian man named Philemon. Some people, by the way, read the letter to Philemon, and they see it as Paul attacking the institution of slavery. That Paul is telling Onesimus that you need to release Onesimus because of the evil of slavery. I would tell you that in this letter, that is not the case. In fact, there is no place in Scripture where there's any effort made to abolish slavery. Now, now stay with me. At no time do prophets or apostles or preachers or the Lord himself um, ever attack slavery or try to abolish slavery. In fact, quite the opposite. The, the New Testament actually uses slavery as a model for, for a Christian principle. Slaves become a picture of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Slaves are told to be obedient. They're told to be loyal, submissive, faithful to the masters. Masters are told to, to treat them with love and equity and kindness and, and fairness no matter what, what they do. And I'm not saving, saying that slavery is right. It's right. Not, and I'm not saying that there's not horrible abuses that have been done in the name of slavery. Certainly has. But I'm just saying that's not the message of this book. And you and I have to be careful that we don't take any idea, no matter what the idea is, and impose it upon the text. And the gospel changes relationships between men. And though Paul is going to request Philemon to release Onesimus as his slave, it doesn't ask him to do it of the other slaves. So you can't impose that idea, though noble it might be, you can't impose it upon the text. Now the story is that Onesimus has stolen some property or some money, he has committed some crime, and he has ran away to escape punishment. And though slavery was changing in the world, it hasn't changed that much, he is still a slave. 
Onesimus has committed a felony and the severity of the punishment was up to Philemon. Philemon could have him severely beaten. Philemon could probably even have him put to death depending upon the crime. Slaves have been, have, have been crucified. They, they've been tortured for running away. And Onesimus has ran away. And where did he run to? He ran to Rome. I think it would be easy to hide in one of the biggest cities in the world, maybe get a job, start a new life, whatever it might be. But somehow Onesimus ran into trouble with the law there. And I don't know how, but somehow Onesimus ended up in prison in Rome. And he ended up in the same prison that Paul was in. It is in prison that he meets Paul. The providence of God has brought the apostle and the slave together. And what happens is Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. I would imagine that he's already familiar with the gospel because the church at Colossae met in his master's house. So surely he's familiar somewhat with Christianity, but he's never trusted Christ. But now he gets saved. And he becomes an encouragement and a servant to Paul, and Paul loved him. And as much as Paul would have loved for Onesimus to stay, he knew that there was something that, that needed to be settled. The relationship between Onesimus and Philemon, Philemon are, is not right. Onesimus is at fault. And, and Christianity says that you need to make that relationship right. You need to make that wrong right. And Paul knew, Paul knew that Onesimus has to go back with an attitude of repentance and he has to go back and he has to ask Philemon for forgiveness. But he also knew that there is now a new relationship. Because there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. And Onesimus had an obligation to Philemon, but now Philemon has an obligation to Onesimus. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon, his friend, to tell him that I've met Onesimus in prison, Onesimus has gotten saved. I'm sending him back to you to make things right. Here's the kicker. I want you to forgive Onesimus for whatever he has done to you. And I want you to welcome him back, not as a slave, but as a son. Basically, Philemon, I want you to do for him what Christ has done for you. Oh, what a message. So you pick up the little letter and we're reading a personal letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in prison to one of his friends. And it begins in verse number one. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You already know that Paul was taken to Rome as a prisoner of the gospel. And what is unique about this little epistle is it is the only epistle in which Paul introduces himself as a prisoner. In every other epistle, he introduces himself as Paul, an apostle, even in the prison epistles. Though he mentions his bonds, he doesn't introduce himself. I'm not writing on the basis of a prisoner. I'm writing on the basis of an apostle. Here's the reason why. Apostleship is authority. I'm writing from authority as a representative of Christ. But in this letter, it's not the authority of an apostle. It is the passionate appeal of a friend. I'm writing as one friend to another. Paul will mention his bonds five times in this letter. And I wonder why. 
Why does he keep reminding Philemon five times that I'm in prison? Unless it is that Paul is going to use his situation as a motivation for Philemon to consider his request. If I can suffer persecution for the cause of the gospel, then Philemon, what I'm going to ask you to do is not that big. Look, Philemon, if, if I can do this for Christ, then you can do what I'm going to ask you. If I can bear the harder task of being in this prison, you can do the easier task that I'm going to ask you to do, and that's to simply forgive somebody. So he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Paul had actually never visited Colossae. He had been in Ephesus for three years, and while in Ephesus, there were some other churches that were started in surrounding areas, including Colossae. And we think that it is during that time that somehow Philemon met up with, with Paul and, and had gotten saved and, and had developed a close friendship with him. So he mentions Philemon, the dearly beloved fellow laborer. And then he mentions Timothy in verse 2. He mentions Aphia. And he mentions Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in thy house. You know who Timothy was? Aphia is Philemon's wife. Archippus is his son. Now Philemon and Aphia are never mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament except right there. Archippus is mentioned in the book of Colossians. And Archippus is probably the pastor of the church at Colossae. So, so we have this little greeting. It's a common greeting. When you get to verse number four, you get to the main body of the letter. And I'm just going to walk through the letter with you tonight. And as you walk through the letter, there are three sections to this letter. First of all, in verse 4 through 7, I want you to see the praise of Philemon. Look at verse number 4. Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayer, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. But we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now as you begin to read the letter, there is no doubt that Philemon has been wrong, and he has every right to demand restitution. If you had committed a crime before you got saved, you still need to make that right with the law after you get saved. The law doesn't care that you got religion. The law doesn't care that you got saved. You, you still have a debt to pay. So Paul, so Philemon, he's within his legal rights to demand back what is rightfully his. Paul's going to appeal to a higher law than Roman law. He's going to appeal to the law of Christ in his heart. And this law says that forgiveness is better than retribution. Now, for the first couple of statements, here's what he does. Paul commends Philemon. He brags on him for his Christian character. It's not flattery because it's sincere and everything that he says about Philemon is true. But basically, here's what he says in verse 4 through 7. Philemon, I'm going to ask you to do something, but before I do, I want you to know that I have confidence that you're the kind of man that will do what I'm going to ask you to do. I know, I know this is going to be a hard thing. But I'm asking you this only because I know your 
character. I know that you're the kind of man who will forgive Onesimus. I, I know that he has wronged you, but also know the kind of person that you are. I have confidence that as hard as this is going to be, if anybody can do it, it would be you. Huh? You know, if somebody came up to you and said, said, Brother Jason, I know you to be a kind man, it would make you want to be a kind man. It would make you want to live up to what somebody thinks about you. So when Paul tells Philemon that I know that you're the kind of man to forgive others, then Philemon's going to want to prove him right. I'm going to want to live up to what Paul thinks of me. So in his commendation, he mentions several things. Here, here's, here's the kind of man that Philemon is. First of all, he's the man who loves the Lord. Look at verse number 5. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus. Philemon, I'm asking you to do this because I know you love the Lord. An unsaved man would reject this request outright. But you're saved. You love Jesus, and that makes all the difference. You're not just concerned about what's right for you. You're concerned about what's best for Christ and You've been forgiven so you can forgive. You have the impulses of the, of the new life. You have the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You, you experience the conviction of the Word of God. I'm asking you this thing because I know you love the Lord. He doesn't appeal to Philemon because he loves Onesimus. He does not appeal to Philemon because you love me. No, my appeal to you is because you love Jesus. And can I tell you that whenever you're faced with a hard thing, here's the deciding factor. Do you love him more than you love yourself? Do you want your will or more, or do you want his will to be done? You have to be more concerned with pleasing him than you are with anybody else. And, and you have to say that I want him honored more than I want to be honored myself. In the matter of forgiveness, you are not asked to forgive somebody else because they're a good person. We are asked to forgive because Jesus Christ is our example. And did you know that when a person says, I truly love the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart, that the name of Christ, when, when the name of Christ is brought into a hard thing, it no longer becomes a hard thing? Yeah. It would be hard for any of us. For any of us, look, look, Brother Hess, it would be hard for any of us to uproot our family, move to a foreign field for the purpose of preaching. All of us would struggle with that because I don't know if I love any foreigners enough to do that, but I love him. And when he asks you to do that, no longer is it a hard thing. It's a joyous thing. So question number one, do you love Christ? You have love for the Lord. But not only that, he was a blessing to the brethren. Look at verse five again. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Philemon, I know you love the Lord and the brethren. I've heard from those in Colossae about how you've sacrificed and, and your humility and, and your service. And, and one thing that cannot be said about you, Philemon, is that you're selfish. Nobody ever accuses you of that. I, I know of your love toward the saints. If you were a self-centered man, there's no way. But because you have such a reputation with other Christians, I know I can ask you this because you love other believers. And 1 John 3 and verse 14 simply says that one of the evidences of your salvation is that you love the brethren. Romans 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. And a lost person can love. 
A lost man loves his wife and he loves his children and they can even forgive one another. But I tell you that the love of Christ transcends natural love and it gives us a power to love where others cannot. How can you say that you love somebody you don't forgive? You don't get bitter against somebody that you love. You might get angry at them, but you don't let that simmer into bitterness. And the reason why is because you value the person more than you harbor the wrong. The person is more valuable than the thing. Philemon, I know that you love the saints. That's why I ask this. As a love for the Lord, he has as a blessing to the brethren. But then he had a concern for the church. Look at verse number 6. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Philemon, I know that you care what others think of you in the church. You have a good testimony. Uh, you, you, you care for the testimony of the church. You wouldn't want anything to happen to damage the body. You're the kind of person that would say, look, I, I'll forgive you because I, I don't want there to be chaos. I want there to be harmony and peace and, and unity. You understand that how you live affects the communication of the gospel. And what I'm asking you to do is going to go a long way in promoting the faith to those in the church and those outside the church. So you have to consider Onesimus coming back. But he's coming back as a believer, which now means he now belongs in the fellowship. He may be your slave. He's now your brother in Christ. And you can't say that you care for the family if you don't care for every member of the family. If you're going to claim that you love the brother, you're going to have to love this brother too. <laughs> Philemon, I, I know that you want the communication of your faith to be effectual. You want to be a testimony and an example to those in the church. Well, this is your opportunity to do that very thing. Because when you forgive Onesimus, it is going to have such an impact upon that body. It's going to really drive home the point of belonging to the family. What an opportunity. Can I tell you tonight, Victory Baptist Church, that this is a family. When you join this church, you belong to somebody and somebody belongs to you. And nothing can destroy the bond more than bitterness and, 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 and anger and schisms and unforgiveness and, and divisions like that. But when you can love somebody in the family that has hurt you, that seems to be unlovable, you're making a powerful statement to the rest of us about your concern for the fellowship. You are saying that the body is more important than just one member. Oh, I could branch off and preach in a lot of areas right now. I care about this church and the testimony of this church and what I do and how I live and the choices that I make affects my testimony with you. And I must bring that into consideration. It is not just about me. It is not just what I want, but how is this going to affect the body? Look at verse 7. Boy, he's, he's going to pour it on. He says, we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Now here's a strange statement. Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Philemon, you, you are such a blessing to me and to people that are hurting, people that are struggling, uh, people that are suffering. You have refreshed the saints. Now he uses this phrase and he uses this word twice in this book. Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. The word bowels in the Bible 
is used as a seat of emotions. I have a sermon I preached here many years ago on, on bowels, that, that word and how that word is used in the word of God. And I know it's a strange subject. There's a tremendous truth that is tied into that word. Philemon, Philippians 1 and verse 8, God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 2 and verse 1, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Colossians 3 verse 2, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels and mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. So this is a great study in that word. But when Paul uses that word, he's simply saying that the saints have been emotionally refreshed by Philemon. Sometimes when we talk about anxiety or discouragement, we talk about uh, sometimes ulcers in the stomach. It, it, affects, it affects that part of the body. But Philemon has refreshed the saints. He has come along. He has helped so many people that it brought rest and refreshment. Now I want you to step back for just a minute. And I want you to suppose that you are Philemon reading this letter. Onesimus walks back onto the property and you didn't think you'd ever see him again. And when Onesimus walks back onto the property, your first reaction is anger. I can't believe you've come back. What are you doing here? Now that you're here, I'll take the law into my own hands. I'm going to get back what you stole from me. You probably can't look at him without anger without thinking how you've wronged me. And in my mind, in my mind, Onesimus walks up to him and he simply hands him the letter. What's this? It's a letter. Would you just read the letter? And Philemon opens that letter. And the first word he reads is Paul. You've seen Paul. Sir, would you just read the letter. He begins to read. And he reads these first seven verses. And by the time he reads these first seven verses, he's got to be feeling good about himself. Because a man that he greatly admires has just told him, you love the Lord, you love the saints, you care for the fellowship of the church, you have been a blessing to other people. And if you've just read that, there's nothing you wouldn't do that that man asks you. Here's my question for you. Are you that kind of person? If we were to put your name in this letter, would the letter still be true? Are you the kind of Christian that when called upon to do a hard thing, everybody has confidence that you'll come through? Do you have the testimony of Philemon? Not only is there the praise of Philemon, but in verse 8 through 18, there is a plea Onesimus. Because at this point, Philemon has to be a little bit confused. How did this runaway slave get a letter from Paul? Have, have you met Paul somewhere? Why would Paul be sending a letter to me by Onesimus? Does, does Paul not know what he's done? Does he not know what he owes me? But he just keeps reading. In verse number 8, Paul says, Wherefore, Though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee. I was listening to a podcast yesterday of a non-King James man 
interviewing a King James only man. I'm in the King James only camp, as you know. And the question came up, and it's a common question. What do you do with hard words? Archaic words. Words that have changed meanings over the time. Now that's a typical argument against the King James. It's so hard to understand. There are so many difficult words in it. Well, here's the answer. Here's the answer to the question. Number one, I don't accept the premise. It's not hard to understand. Number two, here's the answer. For words that you don't understand or have changed meaning, there is this book called a dictionary. And when you come to a difficult word, that is an opportunity for you to expand your vocabulary, to learn something. So he says in verse number 8, I thought it might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee. That simply means I could have ordered you to do what I'm going to ask you to do. I have the apostolic authority to command you. But I'm going to ask you to do this not because of authority, but because of love. He says, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. I'm not laying down the law, Philemon. I'm not telling you how to do this. But I'm coming to you as one brother to another brother on behalf of yet another brother. I'm not asking you to do this because you love Onesimus. I'm asking you to do this because you love me. And, I, and I, love, I, I love how Paul puts this. Being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I don't know if Philemon knew this or not, but now he discovers that Paul is in prison. Paul says, Paul says Philemon, listen, I'm an old man, and I'm in prison. How are you going to refuse that? And Philemon has me thinking, I'll do anything for Paul. What, what, what's he need? Does he need money? Is it supply? Is it clothing? What, 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 Paul, Paul, what, what do you need, Paul? I'll send it right now. But he is not prepared for what he's getting read, ready to read next. And in these next few lines, Paul's going to lay out what he wants Philemon to do. And in his request, I Philemon, you are going to see what forgiveness looks like. And I say that first, that forgiveness involves reception. Look at verse number 10. Are you with me? He says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Philemon cannot believe what he has just read. He knows that this is spiritual language. Paul is saying that Onesimus has gotten saved. He's not obviously saying that Onesimus is my physical son, but he is my spiritual son. So Philemon is beginning to get the picture now. There's a lot to process in his heart. And maybe his heart's starting to melt a little bit, but he looks at Onesimus. Did you see Paul? Did he lead you? Onesimus, are you saved now? It says in verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. You could say that again. If you knew what he had done, Paul. Yeah, certainly was unprofitable. <laughs> but now, profitable to thee and to me. Paul said he's a different man now. I can tell you that he's not going to lie. He's not going to cheat. He's not going to steal anymore. He's a changed man. Onesimus has been a blessing to me. He helped me while he was here. He'll be a blessing to you if you help him back into your life. 
Verse 12. Whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. Just as you have refreshed the bowels of other saints by your kind deeds, you would be refreshing me by receiving Onesimus. You're going to want to throw him in a dungeon and you're going to want to throw the key away. But I want you to lay the welcome mat out. I, I, I want you, I, I wish that Onesimus was me. I, I, I would have kept him here with me. He's been such a blessing to me. But I know, I know he'll be a bigger blessing to you. Don't put any conditions on him. Don't hold his past over his head. Because forgiveness involves reception. It means you heal that wound and you welcome that person back into your life. That's what forgiveness looks like. It says in verse 13, Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Philemon, I know that you'd like to be here, but I thought if I could keep Onesimus here, it'd be just like having you here. He, he has been just as helpful to me as it would have been if you had been here yourself. I know that you would be so generous and hospitable and caring. And Onesimus has been all of that. And I, I almost forgot that he wasn't you. In thy stead. Thy stead. He says in verse number 14, But without thy mind would I do nothing. That thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. I, I don't want to impose anything on you. I, I, I know what you would do. I, I want you to have the choice. I don't want to compel you to do anything against your will, but I know the kind of Christian that you are. I know you will agree with me that Onesimus will be a help and a blessing because he's our brother. I'm asking you to open up your life and let Onesimus back in only this time in a different relationship. It involves reception. But then I say that forgiveness involves restoration. Look at verse number 15. For perhaps... He therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon, I'm not excusing what he did. It was wrong and it hurt you. But have you thought, Philemon, that maybe God had a hand in this? God didn't cause Onesimus to steal from you, but don't you think that God could take this ugly situation and make something good out of it? What if all of this happened so that Onesimus can meet me in prison and get saved and become even more profitable to you as a brother than he was even as a slave? <laughs> he says in verse number 18, not now as a servant. By every light, right? By every law, he is still your slave. You have a right to put him in field, work him hard, treat him as bad as you want to. But while he may be your slave legally, he is now your brother. Not just a brother, but a brother beloved. Not just a brother beloved, but a brother beloved to me. This is what Onesimus means to me. If you love me, you're going to have to love him. Can I tell you that forgiveness is not, I forgive you, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. All right, I forgive you, I forgive you, but I'm not going to be your friend. Don't ever call me if you need anything. That's not forgiveness. If this model is biblical forgiveness, forgiveness has not the forgiveness has the ability not just to restore relationship, but to relate, make the relationship better than what it was before the offense. That's the grace of God. Forgiveness involves reception, it involves restoration. 
But then forgiveness involves restitution because wrongs must be made right. Onesimus has defrauded Philemon and he must clear that debt. But Onesimus comes home with empty pockets. He has no money. How are you going to deal with the debt that you owe to Philemon? And Philemon could have told Onesimus, I forgive you. You still got to pay me back. That would have been just. He could have said, I forgive you, but you're going to have to work overtime. You're going to have to work weekends, whatever it might be. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing wrong with grace either. It would not be wrong for Philemon to say, I erase the debt and I no longer hold you responsible. The debt has to be dealt with one way or another. And Paul's going to deal with the debt. <laughs> Look at verse 17. He says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. <laughs> I wish he was with me tonight. Philemon, I want you to accept him just like he was me. I know that you would forgive me. So I want you to forgive him. And whatever he owes you, put that on my account. There's a Bible word for that, by the way. It's called substitution, propitiation, imputation. Impute your love to him, your love for me on him. Impute his debt to you on me. <laughs> I will be Onesimus and let him be Paul. Consider me in debt and him your friend. And Philemon can't miss the gospel at all of this. That every man owes a great debt to God because of our sin. We all stand in the place of Odessimus, but, but, but just as Christ bore our sins, Paul is willing to bear the debt of Onesimus. Just as God has forgiven us on behalf of Christ, Paul is asking Philemon to forgive him because of somebody else. Philemon, I am doing what Christ has done for you. So I'm asking you to do what God has done for you. There's the praise of Philemon. There's the plea for Onesimus. In verse 19 to 25, Paul begins to close the letter out. You have the promise of Paul. He has made his appeal. And I'm sure that Philemon is going to carry it out. And so really we could close the book at this point and we could just go home and think about these great truths. But in these closing statements, Paul actually gives us reasons why you and I ought to cultivate forgiveness in our own heart. And here they are. The first reason is a recognition, recognition that I owe a debt I cannot pay. Look at verse 19. 19. I've written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit. I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Many of Paul's letters were written by a secretary. He would dictate and they would write it down. But it wasn't uncommon for Paul to pick up the pen at the end and just pen a salutation, Colossians 4 verse 18. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you. Amen. I think that's how the verse goes. Salutation by the hand of me, Paul. So he, he picks the pen up in verse number 19. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. He has brought up the issue of restitution, but he knows Onesimus can't repay the debt. He doesn't have anything. So Paul says to Philemon, 
Just take it out of me instead. Put that on my account. And here's what he says. He says, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. So this letter literally becomes an IOU signed by the hand of Paul. If you will read Philippians chapter 4, because Philippians is a prison epistle, it's the same setting. It's interesting that in Philippians chapter 4, you will find that Paul had received some offerings while he was in prison for the church at Philippi. They had sent him some money to help him with financial needs. And, and I don't know, but maybe Paul was thinking, I'll use that money to pay this debt. But notice what he says in verse 19. Albeit, however, I do not say to thee, I'm not going to tell, I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to tell you. I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. I'm putting myself in debt to you, but it would just remind you, you're actually in debt to me. And I dare say that what you owe me is greater than what he owes you. And what Paul is subtly suggesting is put Onesimus' debt on my account. I'll pay it. However, you might consider canceling it as payment of your debt to me. See, here's the problem. I, I got to hurry. I'm running out of time. I know. I know. Philemon is not just a man who is owed a debt. He is also a debtor who owes a debt far greater than what somebody else owes him. Now, what debt would Philemon owe Paul? What, what kind of transaction was there? Well, Paul is the one that led Philemon to Christ. Paul is the one that brought the gospel to that part of the world, to, to where he lived. And, and Onesimus owes Paul, or owes Philemon a material debt. Philemon owes Paul a spiritual debt. It could be, had it not been for Paul, Philemon would have never gotten saved. So Onesimus owes you a temporal debt. You owe me an eternal debt. But go, go ahead and put that on my account if you don't mind. But, but are you going to hold me accountable after all that you owe me? I mean, God used me to, to preach the gospel and you got saved and your household got saved. Your son's pastor, here we go. So it wouldn't be a very small thing. Huh? <laughs> Can I make a statement? Somebody, somebody does something against you or offends you. You want them to pay for what they said or what they did. But in reality, you and I owe so much to someone else who's been so gracious and patient and forgiving. You and I owe a debt that we can never repay. And aren't you glad God doesn't demand repayment? Maybe you shouldn't demand it either. Cannot I, who owe so much to my Savior, not forgive someone who owes such a simple earthly debt to me? Since I have a spiritual debt I can never repay, can I not allow some material debt, some offense to go unpaid and forgive the one who owes it? You ought to forgive because you recognize you owe a debt you can't pay. But then, but then you forgive because of the recognition that I can be a blessing to others. Look at verse 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. He's already told Philemon what a blessing it was to the brethren. 
And I'm asking you to be a blessing to me. Forgive Onesimus. Bless Paul. And I think the opposite is implied. If you don't forgive Onesimus, it'll grieve my spirit. It'll be such a burden to me. Paul's already in burdened being in Rome under house arrest. False accusation of those jealous Jews mistreated by the Romans. He's got enough burdens on him. He doesn't need one more. So Philemon, refresh me. Give me something good to smile about. Let me hear some good news. Let me hear that you've done the Christian thing. Oh, that would be such a blessing to me. That runaway slave is standing before Philemon. If Philemon, if Paul is asking Philemon, what, what he's asking Philemon, that, that slave is going to make out good. I mean, this is going to change his life forever if Philemon does this. He's going to benefit greatly from the forgiveness of his master, but Paul says, I'm going to benefit even more. It'll be a greater blessing to me than it will be to him. If you can't do it for his sake, would you do it for my sake? You know why you ought to have a kind and a gracious and forgiving spirit? Because it will be a blessing to someone else. The recognition it can be a blessing to someone. The recognition that I'm called to be obedient to the Lord. I, I hurry, I hurry, I hurry, hurry. Verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Obedience, he hasn't commanded him to do anything. I beseech thee on the basis of love. So obedient to who? Obedient to Christ. This is what Christ would have you to do. I'm confident as you read this letter that the Holy Spirit will prick your heart and that you will do the right thing. Kind of Peyton Philemon in a corner. If you, if you don't forgive Onesimus, then you're dismissing the great debt that you owe me. You don't care about being a blessing to me. You aren't very obedient to the Lord. And, and then you, you're talking about piling something on. Knowing that thou will also do more than I say. More. Philemon, I, I know you. I know you. I know you'll not only do this, you'll be more gracious. You'll be more magnanimous than even I'm asking you. You're the kind of guy that will go beyond what you have to do. Well, what could be more? Maybe, maybe Philemon could give him a prodigal son with celebration. Kill the fatted calf. New set of clothes. New shoes. Maybe, maybe you could do that. Maybe, maybe, maybe um, welcome him into the fellowship of the church. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe make him a free man. Just set him free from, from. Maybe, maybe the more is is that Philemon will not just forgive Onesimus, but but maybe he's going to forgive some other people that he needs to forgive. I, I just know you, you're just going to do more than I'm asking. I tell you the reason why is because of the recognition of your obligation to godly leaders. Look, look if you would in verse twenty three. There's absolutely Epaphras, my fellow prisoner to Jesus Christ Jesus. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Look, look, I'm sorry, look at verse 22. But with all, prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Here's what he just said. Paul, Philemon, when I get to prison, I'm going to come see you. I'm going to come see you. Now, Philemon knows he's coming to see him. He's going to ask about Onesimus. And what's it going to look like? And, and, and how, does, how does Paul think he's going to get out of prison? But well, you pray him for him. 
I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. Philemon, you start praying, would you? Would you pray that I get out of prison? And when I get out of prison, I'm going to come visit you. Now, if you're not willing to forgive Onesimus, you're probably not going to pray real hard. Am I, am I on to something here? I'm going to hinder your prayers? He says in verse 23, he said, There's so little Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, and they salute you. All these men you know, these are men in the ministry. They respect you. They speak highly of you. They wanted to say hello. They send their greetings. Just want you to know these five men, these five men, they're looking at you. Don't disappoint them too. If you don't forgive Onesimus, there is a bond that you're going to break. Paul is saying, these five men know that I'm writing this to you. They're going to want to know how you respond. Why should you forgive? Here's the last reason. Is when you recognize you're the recipient of the grace of God. Look at verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Philemon, before I close, I just wanted to mention grace. I just want to remind you of the good grace of God. Boy, the grace of God has been good to you. I just want to mention grace. Forgiveness is always motivated by the grace of God. Grace has been given to you so you can extend grace to somebody else. You can't do this on your own. This is not physically possible. You can't do this in the flesh. You need the grace of God. Isn't that a wonderful letter? Isn't that a beautiful story? It's the end of the book, but it's not the end of the story. And here's why. We don't know what Philemon did. We're not told. Did Philemon forgive Onesimus or not? We can only speculate. I believe that he did for a couple of reasons. One, it is not likely that this book will be included in the canon of the New Testament as an illustration of forgiveness if it had not ended in forgiveness. Because the letter leaves us believing that Philemon did forgive him. That would be the assumption you would take. And it would almost seem misleading to believe that the story ends well if the story did not end well. So we believe that God moved in Philemon's heart and he did do for Onesimus what Paul has asked him to do. This letter is not going to be just read privately. It's going to be read as a circular letter like the letter of Colossians. It's going to be read in Colossae. It's going to be read in Laodicea, Hierapolis. It's going to be read in all of those places. And I'm sure that the story of Philemon and Onesimus carried to those churches became a great testimony of the grace of God. So I really don't think there's any question how the story ends for them. The only question is how does the story end for you? What are you going to do with bitterness and anger resentment and offenses? Would you allow the grace of God into your life to give you the grace to forgive, to love, to restore, to let somebody else in your life, to esteem them better than yourself? You want to be like Christ? You're never more like Christ than when you give grace to somebody who doesn't really deserve it. Because that's what he did for you.